Hey, I'm Brandon, the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace, and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message. It is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings, and we have those every single weekend here online and in person, and I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If there's any way that, that we can pray for you, if you want to contact us, that connect card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring an offering, a worshipful gift uh, to King Jesus, you can do that right on our give page on our website or via text. So hope you enjoy the unpacking, the unfolding of the word as we look at it together. My name is Madison, and I'm out here asking people what they believe. What do you believe about marriage and gender? Um, I don't know. I never really thought about it. Marriage. I believe marriage was designed for a man and a woman um, and uh, for them to come together and serve the Lord uh, in a covenant relationship with him. I think anyone is allowed to be whatever they want, want to be because some people really are born into the wrong body. I think Jesus got it right that God made us at the beginning as male and as female. That's something we objectively are. And that marriage is what you might call a sexed institution. That it's meant to be one man, one woman, one flesh, one lifetime. Well, good morning. It's a beautiful day at Big Valley Grace, isn't it? Good morning. And for those of you online, thanks for watching. Thanks for turning in. I know many of you are watching. Wish you could be here today. And there are some of you that are watching from clear across the United States in various places. Well, it's good to be here, isn't it? And what a beautiful, gorgeous day it is. I mean, we are so blessed to be able to live in this kind of weather. We are really blessed. I uh, just heard some folks that it's three feet of snow, I think, in Idaho or someplace like that, freezing cold, 17 degrees. Praise God, right? <laughs> and if you're in Idaho watching, we'll be praying for you. <laughs> for all of those who moved away, <laughs> we still got a place for you here at Big Valley Grace. I'll take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 103. And tonight, today we are um, finishing the articles of our statement of faith. If you're visiting us from Big Valley Grace, we encourage you to go back and look at some of the other messages. What we have been doing since uh, late August is walking through a point at a time what our church understands the Bible to teach about many different issues. And this is the big one, number 11. For years, our church had 10 articles of our statement of faith. And about 10 years ago or so, things changed in our political climate here in California, and the elders felt it was very, very important that we make a clear stand as to what we understand the Bible to teach and what God says about marriage and human sexuality. It's a big deal. This subject touches every single one of us in a very personal way. Not a single one of us has escaped the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Every one of us has wrestled with the passions and the desires that God has given to each one of us. It is a God-given thing to want to be loved. 
to be held, to be loved unconditionally, to be enjoyed, and to be wanted. All of those things God has placed in our hearts. It's his desire to fill our cup in each of those areas. And the Satan who wants to destroy all of our lives and take away our peace and joy offers us counterfeits that many of us succumb to at various different levels. And I say this because we are all at different levels of experiences in this area, and there's not a one of us that can cast a stone at another. Amen? We all have fallen short of the glory of God in each of our lives. Some of you may be here today, and you are struggling. As we walk through some of these areas, you're going to say, man, I am so far away from what God is saying about the issues of intimacy or marriage or whatever the points are here today. There may be secrets that you are carrying today. Secrets that you think nobody can understand. And I want to share with you, whether you're online or here today, whether you're very young or very old, there's nothing that you have experienced that somebody else in this room hasn't struggled with as well, including gender identity. If you're struggling in those areas, I would hope that when you leave here today, that what you have not, that you would not miss the incredible love that God has for you and for each one of us. He knows us deeply. He knows every thought we have. He knows every dream that we have. He knows the things that nobody else knows. He knows it all. And knowing that, he loves us unconditionally. And I really would hope as we go through this subject today that you hear of the grace and the kindness of the Lord and that we have for you, that I have for you, that each of us have for you. And at the end of the service, if any of you are needing prayer today. There is a safe place over in the altar and there'll be many men and women who love the Lord with all their heart who won't judge you, who won't shame you, but would love to pray with you. And if there's a way that we can help you in the journey that God has prescribed for you, we want to be there to encourage you all along the way that you might experience God's greatest joy and his deepest favor in your life. And I wanted to start with Psalm 103, and we're going to look at Hebrews 11 in just a moment. But if you have your Bibles open, it's going to be up here on the screen. But look at the power of these words as David writes in Psalm 103, starting, uh, starting in verse 8. He says, the Lord, the God of Israel, is compassionate and he is gracious. Isn't it good to know that our Lord, the shepherd of our lives, who knows us so well, has incredible compassion for each of us. And he is gracious. He is slow to anger, and he abounds in loving kindness. Drop down to verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. And I hope you hear that today. I love what Jesus said in John chapter 3. It says, I came into this world not to condemn the world, but the world through me might be saved. There are so many pictures of the compassion of the Lord, and Jesus came to show that. He had incredible compassion on the woman at the well in John chapter 4, who had an incredible story of broken relationships. 
And as Jesus met her, he did not throw any stones at her. He did not harangue her. He did not continue to slam her for her failure. He spoke truth to her. But the grace of God poured out upon her in incredible compassion. In John chapter 8, the woman who was caught in adultery that was thrown at Jesus' feet met the compassion and the kindness of the Lord who's slow to anger and abounds in loving kindness. To Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, who had taken much from many people, unjustly even, Jesus did not spend time haranguing him on his business dealings and the swindlings that he had done. But the Holy Spirit worked in Zacchaeus' heart and brought a changed man as he met Jesus. And I would hope today, as we talk about the Lord, that you would see him with his arms open wide, like the, like the father of the prodigal son, who's always looking, waiting for his son to come back over the horizon. And if you today have been running away from the Lord, it would be my hope and prayer that today would be a day that you would turn and would run toward him. Today, if you're heavily burdened, that today would be a day that you would lay your burdens down before the Lord and find his grace and his kindness and his forgiveness. That's our heart. The other passage I want to begin with is Hebrews 11:6, And this is powerful because it should be the desire of each of our hearts. And, and I don't think you would be here if this weren't so. That is your longing, the desire of your heart, that you would live a life that would be pleasing to the Lord. And the writer of Hebrews says that without faith obedient faith, the kind of faith that takes, that takes what I have in my head and puts it into action. Without that kind of faith, it is impossible to please God. He beckons us to trust him and to obey him. And that kind of faith where we trust in him and we take him at his word pleases him enormously. And then he says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is God. And think about what that means. That he's the God of compassion. He's the everlasting father. He's the almighty God where nothing is too difficult, too big, or too small for him. He's the one who is slow to anger and abounds in loving kindness. He's the one who is just and righteous and pure and all of his ways are good. To come to him, you fully embrace that. And the second part of it is that not only do we come to him and believe that he is God, but also that his rewards are worth it all. Satan would love for us to believe that the pleasures of sin are greater than the pleasures of obedience to God. But the one who pleases God comes to him saying, Lord, I know that what you have in store for me is better than anything else that I could ever have for myself. I am trusting you completely. And I know in this relationship, if it's not of you, I don't want it because I only want the relationship that you would have for me. This desire that I have, Lord, if it's not your desire, Lord, I want to surrender it to you and ask you to fill my heart in the voids that are in my heart that I would not fill them with, with poor substitutes of your glory. For Lord, you are my shepherd. And because you are my shepherd, I have everything that I need. And I take this struggle that haunts me day and night and I lay it before you and I ask you to touch me, to heal me, to change my heart, to give me a new perspective that you have because Lord, you're, you're not a foreigner to this. You, you know exactly what it is that I'm going through. And I want to assure you today that what God has in store for us is better, is better than anything the enemy might ever give to us. And that's my heart here today as we go into this, this subject. It's a great subject. 
It is very real. It touches every single one of us. And as we go through these points, I hope you hear the wonderful, magnificent kindness of the Lord appealing to each one of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. In fact, would you just pray right now? Just be quiet. And you ask the Lord to open your heart, to open your eyes, speak to you. As every one of us is touched in this way, and maybe even with a son or daughter who's struggling, a grandchild who's struggling, marriage that's struggling. And would you give that to the Lord here just now? And Lord, I know that your word says that, boy, we're in a great spiritual battle and the enemy would love, would just love to trick us and to deceive us. And your word is absolutely true. It is rock solid as it was yesterday, so it is today and will be tomorrow. The heavens and earth will pass away, but your word won't. It is a solid rock to stand upon. And so, Lord, would you speak to us today? Would you open our eyes today? Would you bring healing and blessing today to whatever is needed here today? That you would be glorified and magnified in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. We give it to you. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> this statement of faith is the longest. This article, the statement of faith, is the longest of all of the points that we have. And I couldn't begin to put it in the uh, study sheet. And I hope you all have one. In uh, that study sheet, there are so many Bible verses in it. I, I want us to be students of the Word. So please go home, look up these verses. I won't be able to read out of the Bible out of everyone. I'll reference many of them. But you go home and you see it, you read it for yourself, you underline it, become familiar with the scriptures. That is what that study sheet is for. So when you look at our statement of faith in this particular article, there are four paragraphs. You can sum up those four paragraphs into three key areas. One, it's going to talk about who we are and how God made us. Secondly, it's going to talk about the nature of marriage. What is it and what is its purpose? And third, it's going to talk about this, the uniqueness of intimacy, sexual intimacy. And those three points are covered in four paragraphs. And so here they are up on the screen. So the first paragraph, the first statement that as a church that we understand the Bible to teach and what God says is that we believe that God intentionally, and, and think about that, he intentionally designed and created humanity, male and female. See any cultural conflict with that? <laughs> and you're going to see as we go through this, if you are aware of what's going on in our culture today, how the enemy is attacking his people on every single one of these points. And we're going to walk through this in just a moment to see the scriptural background on how God intentionally designed humanity to be male and female. Secondly, we believe marriage is ordained and instituted by God. It's God's idea, not man's. And according to the scriptures, can only exist and be fulfilled between one man and one woman. A civil government sanction of a union will be recognized as a legitimate marriage by the church only to the extent it is consistent with the definition of marriage found in this statement of faith. Thirdly, we believe marriage is a picture 
of the relationship of Christ and the church and is to be lifelong covenant relationship between a man and a woman based on love, respect, mutual submission, and personal sacrifice. And every one of those words is significant and right out of scripture. Lastly, number four, the fourth paragraph says that we believe God intended sexual intimacy to be enjoyed only within the context of the male and female marriage relationship and that all other sexual relations outside of marriage are personally destructive, they're sinful, inconsistent with the teachings of the Bible and the church and forbidden by God meant to be protected under the umbrella of marriage. Now it's interesting as we're gonna get into the lies of Satan. And I've listed a bunch of them here and there's so many more that I could list it, but I think it's important for us to know that the enemy is very, very active. While the Lord has plans for each of our lives, plans for a future, not for calamity, but for a future and a hope, the enemy has schemes to take each one of us down. He wants to confuse us. He wants to distract us. He wants to deceive us. He wants to ensnare us. He wants to overload us with burden and guilt. He wants to do all of that. Not only is Satan a liar, but he is a thief. And those of you, and I want to speak to the young people that are here today, he wants to rob you of a lot of things. He wants to rob you of your joy. He wants to replace that joy with shame and regret and disappointment. He wants to rob you of your peace. This is not in your notes, this is extra. But it's true. He wants to rob you of your peace. He wants to rob you of your peace and replace it with anxiousness and worry and depression. He wants to rob you of your purity so that as you reflect on your life, you have deep regrets and you feel dirty and second class or less than the best or somebody's leftover something. That's what he wants to do in your life. He wants to bring that kind of brokenness into you. And he also wants to steal your future the future that God has for each one of us as men and women. And what's coming to light today is that there are many young ladies that when they were very young were confused about how God had made them, didn't like how God had made them, thought that maybe God made a mistake in how he made them, if there is a God, and they started taking puberty blockers and underwent surgery as a teenager. And today, deeply wish that she had breasts that she could nurse a child. Deeply wish that she could get pregnant because the puberty blockers changed her. That's not what the doctors told her. The doctors told her that she, they could just turn it on and turn it off. That's not true. That was a lie from the pit. And those poor young girls are living with consequences they cannot undo. And no matter how badly a young man in his confusion might want to be a woman, he will never ever be able to be one, though he might think that he is. He will never be able to bear a child. That's how God made him. He'll never have a womb. 
can't transplant those things. And years down the road, just like Proverbs says, just like Proverbs says, oh, how I wish I'd listened to my teachers. I want you to see that the enemy is a thief. He wants to steal from every one of us. Many of you understand that. And he steals from us because he lies to us and we believe his lies. I want to go through some of the lies that you'll see are very common. You'll understand these things when you see them. One is that we are a product of chance. Psalm 139 says something differently. We'll get into it in just a little bit. But that's a lie from the pit. You are not an accident. Maybe your mom and dad didn't plan you. <laughs> Maybe the circumstances of your birth were a little bit less than ideal. But God knitted you together. You are his creation. You are not a product of chance. Number two, there is no, the world would tell you that there's no universal moral standard. That it's all subjective. It's whatever you want your truth to be. Does that sound familiar? Galatians 5, 16 through 26 says no. It is really clear what is of God and what is not. Please read that passage of scripture. Thirdly, the enemy would have you to believe that marriage is a human construct. What that means is that mankind invented it and we can decide whatever we want it to be. You want to be married to your cat? Get married to your cat. Have a wedding ceremony. Love your dog, get married to your dog. That is not, marriage is not a human invention. It is something that God has given to us. We'll explore that in just a moment. Fourthly, that marriage has no eternal purpose or significance. It's just for mutual pleasure. That's a lie from the pit. God has great plans for our marriage. Another lie of the enemy is that there's no differences between the sexes, that we're all just kind of like, and it's just really the environment that gives us definition as to what a man and a woman is. And so if a guy wants to race with the girls, he can race with the girls, there's no difference. And we know, don't we, that that's just not true. But that's a lie from the pit. It's a lie from the pit that sexual pleasure and happiness is the ultimate good. And you'll see this in movies where they mock virginity. And those who have waited as though something is wrong with you, young ladies, if you haven't lost your virginity by the time of your senior prom, that's what the prom is all about. Or in college, what's wrong with you? You're the odd person out. And that's a lie from the pit. It's also a lie from the pit that the consequences of sin are minimal and manageable. Where they say, I got this. Got an STD, just get a shot. It'll all go away. There's a lot of things that don't go away. And just as I shared a few weeks ago, sin is terribly deceptive. It will take you to places where you don't want to go. It will keep you there longer than you want to stay. And folks, it will cost you a whole bunch more than you want to pay. And that, is, that was true last week, will be true today and true tomorrow. Lastly, God's laws and commands are outdated. That this whole book, who listens to it anymore? It was a book that was written thousands of years ago by a group of old men. Why does it have any relevance to us today? We've grown beyond this, is the lie of the enemy. And the Lord assures us that this is a rock we can build our life upon. It will protect us through the storms of life. His word does not change, and heaven and earth will pass away, but this won't. 
His word is true and will remain forever and ever and ever and ever. And you try to go against it and you'll find that you won't break this, it will break you. You will end up being broken. You will end up with the hurts. You will end up with the regrets. And you will say, why did I not listen and pay attention? Those are Satan's lies. So let's look now at these four paragraphs. I'm going to sum them up in three things. But what does God say about us? What does God say about marriage? And what does God say about intimacy, sexual intimacy? Well, the first thing that he says about us is found in Genesis 1, 26, 28. Uh, um, I'm sorry, Psalm 139, 13 and 14, that you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now just think about this, and those of you that are familiar with biology and fertilization of the egg, the female egg, and as the sperm attack it, how many sperm can fertilize an egg? One. How many are around the egg? Millions. <laughs> How does the one get in? It's not by accident. God says, I want that one. Because that one and this one is going to make you. And each one of us that is here, young and old, as, are as individual and unique as the fingerprints on our hand that remind us as we look at our hands that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by God, uniquely made. Our skin color, our hair color, our body size, body tap, type, whether you're 5'2 or 6'9, whether you are athletic or creative, whatever the differences are, all of that is beautiful before God. You are as beautiful to him as the flowers that are on the hillside that nobody looks at, that only he sees and he glories in them because they declare the glory and awesomeness of God. And if you are struggling today, God has wonderfully made you. And the enemy would love for you to think that God made a mistake. What does God say about us is that he has made us male and female in the same way, in fact, it was not an accident. It was by God's design. Adam, I want you to name the animals. And God paraded all of his creation before Adam, and he gave them names. And he noticed, as the animals paraded before him, that some had different parts than others. <laughs> and they were male and female. And as Adam finished the process, he said, I didn't see anyone like me. God wanted him to see that there was no one like him. Because God wanted to do something special. And God says, it's not good for you to be alone, Adam. I'm going to make someone just right for you. And I'm not going to make, him a part, make this person apart from you. I'm going to make him as a part of you. And I'm going to take a piece of your rib, and instead of forming her out of the dirt like I made you, I'm going to form her out of the rib so she can be by your side and be a partner of equal value to you. And together, you will reflect me to all of creation. And every single one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made that way. Now, within 
being a male and being a female, there's a spectrum of maleness and femaleness. You'll even see this in the Bible where Esau and Jacob, who were twins in the womb, came out very different from each other. One was, Bible says, was Harry. That's not his name. That was Esau. <laughs> the other one was smooth. That was Jacob. Esau, the hairy one, man, he loved to hunt and fish. He was an outdoorsman, 100%. And he was a daddy's boy. Daddy loved what Esau brought home to the table. He was a man's man. Jacob, he even says this, Mom, I'm not like my brother. My dad's going to know right away that I am not my brother. My skin is smooth. I am not hairy. And I like living in tents. And I like cooking. And I like the stuff around here, Mom. We're not the same. Two different men, born from the same mother, as twins right out of the womb. One is the alpha male. I don't know where he stands, but he's somewhere over in here. But they're both male. And so if there's any young men that are here and you're wondering where you're at and you're looking at and you know, man, I just wish I could be, you know, the Joe Montana kind of guy. That's not how God designed you and made you. He likes where you are at. He needs that full spectrum of maleness. And all of it glorifies him. And femaleness, the same way. Leah and Rachel were two different kinds of ladies, right? Man, Leah, man, God gave her a gift. I mean, most of Israel comes out of Leah. Rachel had some different physical features that Jacob liked more, but boy, they were both designed by God for his purposes, there are ladies today that are incredibly athletic. They, they're like a tomboy, but they are feminine. And then you have the others that are just on the other end, and, and they're dainty, and they like little pretty teacups and <laughs> itty-bitty toast and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but everyone is beautiful before God. And if you're there struggling, oh, the Lord has a plan for you. You have been wonderfully made. And for each one of us, wherever we are at, we ought to get on our knees and thank the Lord. And maybe it's by faith, because if you're struggling, you're, you might be resenting the way that God has made you, but by faith, you get on your knees and you say before the Lord, well, I don't quite understand it, but you made me. And I worship you, and I thank you, and Lord, would you take me through this rough spot that I might see your glory? in all the ways in which you have purposes for me. And give him thanks. Because what you'll see in Romans chapter 1 is that though they knew God, they neither feared him nor gave him thanks. And when those two combinations come together, he turns you over to places that you do not want to go. That's the sad part of Romans chapter 1. He also says that we were made to be a reflection of our creator. That's what it means to be made in the image of God, that as we work, go through life, that our children see images of God. And he sees the husband and wife, how they're acting as the love of God. Uh, that creation sees the compassion and tenderness of God by how we act. That's why he has made us. 
So what does it say about marriage? Marriage, in a similar way, is a gift from God. It is God, listen, God has joined us together. He's the one that has brought us to one another. In my case, I was from California. My wife was from Ohio. We met in Indiana. God brought us together. If you knew my story, you would say, God brought you together. Because that makes no sense why I would go from California to Indiana. And if you knew this story and we had time, it's, it's a stupid reason why I went. <laughs> but that's where God wanted me to be. Your marriage is a gift from God, and we should thank the Lord daily for the gifts that God has given to us. Secondly, God's design for our marriage was for one man and one woman forever, and sin has corrupted what God has intended. You can see how the enemy strikes here. He would love to mess this up, and it's interesting how he attacks, wants to destroy marriages, and wants to even destroy the women who are life givers. I mean, through women... Uh, William Churchill came through a woman a gift of all of mankind and he wants to destroy that what does God say about marriage marriage is to be a covenantal relationship and you see a picture of this in Ruth chapter 1 in Ruth chapter 1 Ruth says to Naomi Naomi I want to go where you go I'm going to stay where you stay your people will be my people your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And then she says, and may God do worse to me if I don't fulfill this. That was a covenantal relationship where a young woman was making a promise to care for an older woman that was her mother-in-law. Great story, but it's a covenantal relationship. It's a picture of the relationship my wife and I entered into where we said, until death do us part through sickness or health, through blessing, through plenty or want, we will love each other until death separates us. It's a covenantal love. Marriage is also to be a picture of God's, of a heavenly relationship between Christ and the church. It's a picture of unconditional love and sacrifice. And folks, that's what we all want, right? I got married when I was 24. And I hope, in our covenantal relationship, said, would you love me? Because I look a whole lot different today than I do at 24. <laughs> Will you love me anyway? We all change. Will you love me when I grow old? Will you love me when I can't, can't do the things I used to be able to do? Will you still love me? And as a marriage, we say we will love until death separates us. And it's a picture of God's faithful, abiding love that our children see. So what does God say about sexual intimacy? One, it's a sacred gift from God to a husband and a wife. The Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 1, the second part of the verse. As you read through the Song of Solomon, it's a romantic poem, Hebrew poem, that's rich in, rich in word pictures of a man's love for his wife, and uh, for a future wife, for his fiancée. And at chapter 5, it changes into a marital relationship. But in the last part of verse 1, the voice changes. What that means is, is that in the beginning, you can clearly see this is the man, this is the fiancé, this is the wo woman. They're speaking to each other, speaking to some friends. All of a sudden, this third voice comes in. It's God's voice. And it's the picture of him hovering over the marriage bed. And he says to this couple, enjoy, enjoy. 
This is beautiful. This is what I made you for. And he says, drink deeply. It's a beautiful picture of God's delight when we come together as a husband and wife in marital intimacy. God wants us to enjoy the riches and protected under the unconditional love of marriage. It's to be treasured and protected over and over again as you look through Proverbs. We will be admonished to guard our hearts, to protect our hearts from deceitful ways. In fact, Paul, um, Solomon will say at the very end of Proverbs, he says, beauty is deceitful, but a heart, a woman's heart who loves the Lord is more precious than anything else that everyone, anyone can buy. And over and over again, Solomon will tell the son, guard your heart for out of it flows the very passions of your life. We talk about the, the issue of following your heart and knowing what God wants us to do. Our heart will lead us to places we ought not to go. We need to protect our heart. So our, our marital relationship is to be treasured and protected. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it talks about how because of immoralities that we, that as a man, I have a responsibility to my wife and my wife has a responsibility to me. We live in, in mutual surrender one another uh, for the protection against immorality. And so part of marriage is to guard our hearts and to keep us on track in following Christ. Thirdly, Outside of marriage, sexual intimacy is harmful and destructive. It breaks and hinders our relationship with God. It's impossible, folks. It's impossible to maintain a healthy intimacy with God when our bodies and our soul are given over to impurities of any kind. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 7 through 14. It's a great passage in here, and it would be well for you to memorize. It says, drink water from your own cistern. Fresh water for your own, from your own well. For why should your streams be uh, scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Why should it be that way? Like a loving hind and a graceful doe, let your wife's breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. And then it says, for why should you embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Don't you know? that the ways of man are ever present before the eyes of the Lord and you'll need to give an account. Protect your marriage. Find delight in your wife. Find delight in your husband. Protect it. In fact, he says later in Hebrews, it's, the marriage bed should be pure and good, undefiled, unsoiled. Lastly, unrestrained. When sexual intimacy is unrestrained, it leads to depravity. Our hearts become callous to the Lord. Our hearts become darkened, and God gives them over to degrading passions. Listen, here are the characteristics of the depraved mind. A depraved mind rejects truth and believes a lie. It rejects God and his authority. It worships the things that are created rather than the creator. And when it's unrestrained, and it leads to unrestrained behavior, and... There's no desire to change. That is a sign of depravity. That when you begin to believe the lie and you reject the truth and you don't care what God thinks, it takes you to places you do not want to go and your heart, heart and mind becomes darkened and you don't want to change. That's the sign of depravity. And God, by his grace, does, want, does not want any of us to go there. 
I'm going to close with these two verses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's some sobering things that Paul says about who can go to heaven and who can't. Basically, he says the unrighteous won't. And here's what he says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, the word porneos, means any kind of sexual um, behavior outside of marriage. And also, you know, we get the word pornography from it, so it includes that, even within a marriage. Idolaters, that's worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Nor adulterers, that's breaking marital vows. Or effeminate, that's not talking about the character as it is result of perversion. So when you see the drag queens, that, that's under that category. Nor homosexuals, that's not where there's an attraction, it's where one is, that it characterizes their life in those relationships. And then he goes on, nor thieves, nor the covetous, that's a form of greed, nor drunkards, nor revilers, that's those who destroy others with their tongue, nor swindlers, take an unfair advantage, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But here's the key verse. Such were some of you. Isn't that good? I mean, God could just strike it out. You there, you're done. No, God continues. He's full of compassion, full of loving kindness. He's calling people out of darkness into light. God has a better plan for every one of us. If you are far away, he's beckoning you to come near. He has not closed the door on you. He's not kicked you to the curb. He says, such were some of you. And here's the last part of your outline. Look what it says. What does it say first? We were washed. We were washed clean in Christ. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make you whiter than snow, is what the word says. All of your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. They've been buried in the deepest sea. We have been washed. Not only have we been washed clean, but we have been sanctified, that God still has a purpose in our life that he can fulfill. He pulls us out of the deep end, and he sets us on a rock, and he begins to do something brand new in us. Thirdly, we were justified in the name of Christ. We were justified because of Christ. When the, Lord, when the Father looks at us, he looks at us through the blood of his Son, and he looks at us totally forgiven, totally clean, totally debt-free, we have been made brand new. And the last thing is, and this is in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you are in Christ, if you are today are in Christ, guess what he says? You're a new creation. You are washed. You're sanctified. You're justified. And you are a new creation. All the old things are passed away. Think about that. Think about all of the crud has been passed away. All of the failures have been passed away. All, of, all of, whatever those titles were. In fact, in, in verse 14, 15, it says, what, we once, what you once used to be and what you once were called, we no longer regard anymore. You are a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. New things have come. That's a promise from the Lord. Praise the Lord. Isn't that good? Man, if you're here today, the Lord is beckoning any one of us to come. If you feel far away, get near. If you feel broken, come, let us pray for you. Uh, if, you're looking, if you're losing, if you have a sense of loneliness and isolation, come, let's be a part of the family of God here at Big Valley Grace. We are a safe place. We love you. We will not judge you. We will not condemn you. We will plead with you to come find the mercy of God. 
and the altar room will be open. Men and women will both be there. We'd love to pray with you and see God do miracles in each of our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. So grateful, Lord, that we can talk about you and your mercy and your loving kindness that's new every single morning. It doesn't ever run out. Your cup never runs dry. You continue to pour out upon us until it's pressing, running over abundantly. So, Lord, thank you. And then, Lord, you know every heart that's here. And Holy Spirit, would you work? Would you draw? Lord, it's you. Lord, we want to walk with you. Because someday, Lord, we're going to see you face to face. And we want to hear you say, welcome home. Bless us as we go our way. Lord, help us to be fruitful. Help us to multiply. That, Lord, you would give us compassion to those, Lord, that are far away. That they might be brought near. And that we would be an instrument of your grace in their lives. For your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.